Welcome to Back to the Futures, the official podcast of the Futures League, presented by ChangeUp. I'm Owen Chadrick. Thanks, everybody, again for tuning in, watching, or listening. Standings update for you right off the top. we got a lot to talk about here on this intro. The Vermont Lake Monsters in first place. Once again, that doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. They have been red hot. There is a current three-way tie for second place here. We're recording on Thursday, July the 7th. Westfield, Nashua, and New Britain all on top. Nashua has won eight in a row to date, so they are definitely back in the race. It's been great to see. As I said, we got plenty of news in the Futures League this week. We'll start with another member, former member of the Futures League, hitting the show. Matthew Batten is heading to the show with the San Diego Padres. We want to congratulate him on making it to the show of Quinnipiac Man. He becomes the ninth ever alum to make it to Major League baseball he played for the torrington titans back in 2014 so congratulations to matthew Benton on making it to the to the show another futures leaguer in the show also this week well for the past two weeks we've had two incredible games on nesson we had one in nashua last week shout out to everybody who did a great job there randy brochu on the call paul lambert is back this week i'm sure it was great on saturday <laughs> We're recording this a little before the second Nesson game, but there will be a third Nesson game for the first time. Nesson will be at Billy Bowen's field. We talked to Seth Dusal last week. He's excited to be on the call for that one. So stay tuned for more Nesson content. And probably the biggest news this week in the Futures League comes with our Zorian May-June team of the month. We want to congratulate all the guys for making that team. We'll run down the list in a minute. It included Jackson Hornung, the 78 Sports Player of the Month, and Sean Matson, the change up pitcher of the month ryan mara first baseman for the vermont lake monsters makes the team along with robbie burnett from pittsfield drew medsdorf also from pittsfield noah campanelli from westfield teddy sconefield from new britain jackson klein from vermont joel lara we had him on episode five of this podcast he makes the team tj watcher dh for the worcester bravehearts makes the team as as well as Matson, as we mentioned jonah watcher from nashua Tim Cianciolo from Pittsfield, who threw a great performance on Wednesday night, throwing 12 strikeouts, breaking the Pittsfield Suns single-game strikeout record. Tanner Smith from Worcester, Michael Quigley from Brockton, and relief pitchers George Goldstein from Vermont and Ian Donahue for Pittsfield. Congratulations to all of those guys making the Zorian Bats May-June team of the month. We're only a few weeks away from our All-Star game. That'll be Two weeks from today on release day of July 11th. So stay tuned for all-star roster reveals. It's going to be a good couple of weeks in the Futures League. This episode, we have Morgan Brown, the director of player operations for the Vermont Lake Monsters, who, as I said off the top, are in first place. I've got a lot of guys on that team of the month I just mentioned. And a guy that recruited most of them there is Mr. Morgan Brown. He talks about this year, he talks about his recruiting process, especially in a short 2021 season when the Lake Monsters were entered into the league. He talks about his time at Harvard, both playing and working, and his humanitarian efforts off the field. It's a great episode. You don't want to miss it. I'm going to get you to this interview. Here is Morgan Brown. We are honored to be joined by our next guest here on Back to the Futures. He serves as the Director of Baseball Operations for the Vermont Lake Monsters. It is Morgan Brown. Morgan, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right, Owen. Nice to, uh, nice to be on. Yeah, we appreciate you coming on the podcast. And we'll start with the state of the Lake Monsters currently as you guys sit in first place in the league. What has it been like to follow the team and watch the team succeed so far this year? Uh, I mean, it's always 
a lot of fun, first of all, and I think, uh, you know, gratifying to see the team come together, um, you know, in the off season, uh, coach Wilk and myself and other people in the organization, you know, spend a lot of time putting, putting things on paper, <laughs> but once, once people get, you know, in between the lines and on the dirt, uh, it's a whole other ball game. And so that's, that's always great to see, um, great to see the energy, um, great to see the camaraderie and all the great things that come out of summer baseball. Um, you know, obviously nice to, nice to have the success that, that has happened so far this season. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, it's about players getting better. It's about, uh, you know, players interacting with the community, fans having a great time. Um, and, and those bonds that build, but also, you know, player development, you know, we always want to see any player that comes in the organization developing over the course of their summer and going back to their colleges, um, in a better place than when they came to us. Yeah, 100%. That is definitely the goal of Summer Ball and the Futures League and other leagues have done a great job of that. And as I mentioned off the top, you're the director of baseball operations. For the fans who may not know, what does your day-to-day consist of with the Lake Monsters? Um, well, I've got to give a lot of credit to, you know, other people uh, within the organization that, that you know, do most of the, the day-to-day work. Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of the work that I do, um, you know, happens. I've got, a, you know, another job outside of baseball. Um, and a lot of what I do happens in the, in the off season when we're uh, recruiting players, contracting players, um, you know, I always love to get up to Burlington when I can. And a lot of times I see the team on the road. Um, but there's a lot of those player transactions, uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, injuries are part of the game and there's always things that come up during the season and it's, you know, getting new players on board, getting them into town. But, uh, you know, crucially, it's, I think, being a link between a lot of people who do just a, a huge amount of work. And I would single out people like Frida Tutter, host family coordinator. Um, you know, when we, when we contract a new player, we've got to try to get people into town, um, you know, very quickly, uh, get them into a host family. And there's a lot of things that, that go into that consideration, whether they have a car, you know, there's just a huge amount of logistics that go in. And there's a huge team with the Lake Monsters that's helped to, helps to support that. You know, obviously coordinating with Coach Wilk on things that are happening on the field, you know, injuries um, that that need to be managed um, or even, you know, players with a, a, uh, a sibling's college graduation or something like that. Right. We've got to make sure that we're human beings first and uh, and manage that. But we also want to put a competitive, you know, nine players on the field every night. So, um, you know, it's a lot of a lot of those sorts of sorts of things. But I would push a lot of the praise out for the day-to-day operations of the Lake Monsters to, um, you know, a huge uh, number of people that make that make that happen on a daily basis. And you talk about player recruitment and you said that it's not just you doing that. So what, how, how many kind of voices are in your ear when either you're bringing in a new player during the season or when you brought in a player during the off season, whether it's coach Wilk yeah. or, you know, Matt Fincher, wh- whoever else on, on staff there, at the Lake Monsters. Yeah, again, uh, great, great team to work with. And <clears throat> ideally, particularly in the offseason, we want a lot of voices in our ears, right? We want, we want to hear uh, input from, from a lot of people. Um, so we've, we've gotten players, certainly, uh, you know, Coach Wilk and, and I probably do the, the bulk of it, but we've, we've definitely, you know, Coach Fincher, uh, you know, is, has a tremendous network and we, we've gotten players from Coach Fincher um, we have gotten connections just from sort of all over the map. You know, we've, uh, our owner, Chris English has identified some players. We've had, 
um, a lot of help from, you know, one of our assistant coaches, Chris Richard um, in Vermont. Um, uh, you know, our statistician, Bruce Bosley knows, knows Vermont inside and out. So we, we get leads on players from, you know, all over the map. Uh, and it's great. You know, I think if we did a, a diagram and traced back, you know, where we first heard of everybody, uh, it's always interesting. And then some players, you know, some players reach out directly, you know, I mean, uh, you know, Pat Harrington, who became pitcher of the year last year, sent me an email, <laughs> you know, uh, it's nice when things like that happen. You don't have to go out, you know, looking and, and, uh, you know, pitcher of the year comes directly to you. So, uh, so it's, you know, it, it, it happens any number of ways. Um, it's probably hardest to make a cookie cutter statement, you know, and say that this is exactly how we always get players. Um, certainly, you know, if you look at our roster over the last couple of years, there are a couple of programs where we tend to get players on an annual basis because, um, you know, we've got those relationships uh, pre-existing. But, um, you know, we just had a call, you know, talking about planning for the 2023 roster. And, uh, you know, one of the goals is always to try to get into new programs, get into new leagues, potentially new parts of the country. Um, you know, I think uh, in New England, certainly the Futures League is very, very well known, but sometimes we talk to people in other parts of the country and it's less well known. And they, you know, just we want to make sure that we're, we're attracting um, players from all over the place and putting together a team that, again, can make a really positive impact in the community, can get along well, and then, you know, hopefully win some games too. And that definitely leads into my next question, which is when does player recruitment begin for you? Because I know talk, we'll talk about the championship later, but Colby Brulette said on episode one of season three, way back that he was, he was in pretty much the, the second after the championship happened. So when does player recruitment begin for you? Obviously you just said you had a call about it, but when does it like, when does it gain steam and when do players start signing onto the roster? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the, there's kind of a glib answer to that, which is it, it never really ends. Um, you know, you're, you're always, you're always looking, um, there's, <clears throat> there's always sort of, you know, things in motion. And I think there's player recruitment that, that happens passively too. Right. I mean, when, uh, last year winning the championship was, was great, you know, that got some headlines in different places and that alerts, you know, various teams and potentially various players to, what could be a good opportunity for them in the summer. So, you know, that just, you know, doing things well, even funny promotions of the ballpark and the team's social media, those can all act as ways to, you know, recruit players and, you know, where we, again, where we get outreach from uh, could come at any time of the season. But as far as putting, you know, pen to paper and sending guys a contract, um, you know, we'll usually won't start that, you know, obviously until the end of the, the current season. But, but we'll do it, you know, pretty quickly after that. I mean, Colby obviously finished the season with us last year and was a huge part of a, you know, a championship, uh, just a, you know, outstanding teammate and somebody that we wanted to make sure that we had, you know, going forward. Um, it was kind of a no brainer. So he was very easy to, to commit uh, early on. And it was obviously mutual interest. He wanted to come back as well. So um, there'll be players like that, you know, Jimmy Evans in that category too. He obviously uh, came off of a playoff MVP um, performance last year. So, you know, those guys were on board very, very quickly afterwards, but we'll, you know, we'll start working the phones, you know, right at, right at the end of the season. Um, we know that the recruiting timeline for a lot of the summer leagues just keeps moving up and up. Some of the other summer leagues finish earlier. 
So we know that some of the other, you know, uh, leagues have already been on the phone with, with college head coaches by the time we call them. I remember calling a head coach last year on a guy who'd already, you know, received coach, you know, calls on the same guy from teams in the Cape, teams in ECBL, teams in Northwoods. You know, we were, we were the fourth team to call, you know, and that player was already committed. So, um, so, you know, it, it happens quickly after the end of the season. And I think that's something that surprises a lot of people, but on the other side of the spectrum, um, you know, when the Lake Monsters came into the Futures League, it was, you know, in the winter, spring of 2021. So player recruitment didn't even start until March 2021 for last year's team. So as much as this cycle, we now know that we're on, which is more of a late summer, fall recruitment cycle. We know that last year we did it in the spring and there were a lot of good players available. You know, there, there's just, you know, college baseball is just tremendously strong. There's a lot of good summer leagues out there too. So there's competition to get those players, but there are a lot of good college players who are looking for, for good places to play. And, uh, you know, you see it even during the season, right? Players who weren't on a team at the beginning of the season end up being major contributors during the season. So it's not even that by opening day, everybody's signed who's a, who, who could be a good player. You know, there's just, there's a lot of good players out there. There's a lot of good programs. Um, and, you know, players, uh, summer plans change, you know, maybe they're, you know, maybe some players really wanted to be at home, but then during the summer, they decide that they're okay traveling and, you know, living with those family somewhere. Um, you know, or vice versa. So it's just, it's really fluid. Yeah. And you talk about the fluidity of it all. And last year was a perfect example. You touched on it. You guys came into the league in early spring and had not that much time to get a roster together. And we talked about it all the time last year when you guys were on the road to the championship, you basically had three different rosters for the entire summer. So what was that like for you kind of having to continuously recruit guys after guys had left for whether it was school or, or whatever else? Um, well, the, you know, working backwards, obviously it was great uh, to, to end up with a championship, but, but I will say that, you know, it, it was challenging. I mean, I think on the optimistic side, uh, I'm, you know, a product myself of, of a couple different summer baseball leagues and, you know, had good experiences, but I dealt with major injuries. Um, you know, uh, at two different points in my, my own college summer baseball career. So I know these things happen. Um, and it's very unfortunate for those players when they happen. And so I think in an ideal circumstance, you have the, you know, players the whole season and they stay healthy the whole season and they can contribute from day one to, you know, day 75, but reality is happens. Um, and there's also other things where, there might be an opportunity to fit a player in um, knowing that it's not a full, full summer commitment. You know, an example last year, we had a player from Vermont sky Ray Hill, who had been on the national champion division three national championship team from Salisbury, um, you know, Burlington player, um, you know, high, high quality player who just been on a national championship team. So there, so that means Salisbury's run, in the NCAA tournament went into the futures league season by a couple of weeks. And then, you know, this is an individual who is, uh, you know, pursuing military service and had ROTC commitments in the summer. And we knew that that was going to be the case. We knew it was going to be a short term time, but we also knew this guy is going to be additive to the Lake monsters, you know, obviously hopefully in the box score, 
but you know, it was going to help us, um, you know, build a stronger team, build a stronger foundation. <clears throat> Obviously, we always like to get, you know, local players involved. So, you know, that was a no brainer, even though we knew that was a position that was going to be needed to be filled again in a couple of weeks. It wasn't the long term solution, you know. Um, so so you can make decisions like that that are one off, even if you even if the you know, the easiest thing to do would be to ride, you know, have the same roster the, the whole year. Um, you functionally need to do a couple of different things. And, you know, uh, you don't want to foreclose the opportunity for a player, even if, you know, they go to a school where they have to report, you know, they have to be in class on August 7th or something, you know, and that's before the season ends, you know, but you don't want to say no to that player because of the academic calendar. And we want to support their, their academic progress. So we need to make sure that they can leave, but then we have to backfill that position. And so that, you know, those things are all challenging. That's true. But I think on the optimistic side, I hope that everybody that comes through the organization has a really good experience, you know, whether that's for one day or, or a full season. Um, and gelling as a team can be a challenge, but I think, you know, what you try to do is keep, keep a core group together uh, as much as possible. And then, you know, add players, you know, in and out as they, as they come and go. Um, but, uh, you know, huge credit to the coaching staff. Uh, who's able to integrate new players and, you know, deal with the challenges and the vicissitudes of the season. Again, huge credit to our host family coordinator, who's able to, to manage those ins and outs. Um, just a, you know, it's just an impressive, impressive group of people that I feel really privileged to work with, to be able to, you know, handle those things. I think a lot of people have been around baseball for a long time coming out, you know, a lot of the people in the organization, at, because it was an affiliated organization, for 25 years before it became a futures league organization, you know, are very used to players getting called up players, you know, moving down, you know, players getting signed players coming off the DL players going on the DL. So the transactional elements of, of the organization, uh, I think in some ways for the futures league are actually easier to forecast than they are in, in professional baseball where, um, you know, those decisions are getting made at a number of different levels in the organization. And you sometimes don't have full transparency into, you know, how things are happening. Basically for us, the only things that are going to change are again, the academic, somebody has to leave for an academic reason. Unfortunately, somebody's injured. So we do have changes, but they're, they're it's probably, it's probably a more stable roster than, you know, most of the, you know, the short season, a ball teams were back, you know, a couple of years before we, we started working on the team. Yeah, and it's funny you say that, of course, <clears throat> looking at all these teams now in the major leagues calling up big prospects and making moves in the minor leagues. And of course, the Lake Monsters being a single A affiliate, it's it's definitely a little bit different than uh, than that for sure. Yeah. And taking a look at your roster, you mentioned it, the amount of local talent. You guys have a lot of guys from Vermont, including Colby Brulette, who we mentioned, Riot Cameron, guys that are from Vermont and from the surrounding areas. How important is that to shaping your roster, trying to get guys from Vermont, from Burlington and the surrounding areas? Uh, it's critical. I mean, uh, I think, I mean, one, they're, they're very good players, you know, first of all, they're, they're, you know, exceptional players um, that help us win baseball games, um, you know, first of all. But then when you look at the, the bigger missions of the organization, you know, connecting with the community, um, and also helping integrate some of our players that come from different areas of the country. You know, Northern Vermont, the Burlington area is a, is a wonderful area. It's great to have not just our host families that, 
you know, help get players settled in the area, but having a lot of our, the talented players that we have from local areas can help, um, you know, integrate some of those players coming from different parts of the country into the, into the environment. Um, I think it's also very cool to have players who grew up cheering for this team, uh, you know, now get to wear the uniform and, and be on the field, uh, for a team that they've spent their lives cheering for. Uh, and that is a very, very important part of the Burlington, um, and Northern Vermont area community. So I think that that part of it is really exciting. Um, you know, obviously, uh, these are players that are that are major contributors for us on and off the field, and it's it's a core value for us. We're always going to have we're always going to have local talent on the team. I mean, it's obviously it's a principle of the Futures League that there's New England talent, um, and I think for us, yeah, we double down on that and we try to localize that New England component as much as possible. Yeah, not only that, <clears throat> did you have local talent, but you had guys, plenty of guys come back from that 2021 team, including Jimmy Evans, the MVP of the championship, George Goldstein, MJ Metz, Brian Schaub is back. For, he's yep. been back for a couple of games now. What is it like to have those guys back and have their veteran leadership in the locker room kind of steering the course? Well, I think you, I think you just said it. I mean, veteran leadership, you know, on, on any team is really important. And we're very fortunate to have you know, a good number of players who, who wanted to come back and, uh, and, you know, they're, they're great players. They're great people. I think, you know, it helped this, this year's team gel together pretty quickly. Again, you know, you, uh, you got guys who sort of know the expectations, um, you know, but also know, uh, you know, where, you know, where the, uh, you know, best, best place to go for breakfast is, you know, like there's, there's things like that that I think can, can just help, help pull a team together. Um, and so on-field performance, but also the stuff off the field, I think is really important. So having those veteran leaders is great. Um, again, you know, some of it is, is thinking about, uh, you know, players that, that come in and out. I mean, MJ, for instance, obviously Trinity had another good run uh, in the Division Three championship. He's going to be doing his next year at Duke. Um, and we knew that, and he knew he was going to have another summer commitment. So we knew we weren't going to have MJ the whole time, but, uh, you know, he was our Keenan award winner last year. Uh, so just, a you know, high, uh, character person and high quality players. So we knew even if we had him for a month, it would be, it would be great for the team. Hold on. We'll get right back to back to the futures, but first we want to share a message from our friends at 78 sports. Do you have kids playing baseball or softball? We all know practice time is limited, especially here in New England, not to mention the cost of lessons and cage time can add up very quickly. Save yourself time and money by giving your kids what they need to work on their game at home. Our friends at 78 Sports can help you put together the perfect at-home training setup. Whether you want to start small with just a tee and a net or looking to set up a full cage with turf and a pitching machine, they have you covered. And I've used their stuff before. I've seen their facilities. They definitely cover everything. The team at 78 Sports design and install hundreds of at-home and commercial sports training facilities, so let them help you find the perfect setup for your space. Visit the 78 Sports website at 78sports.com. That's S-E-V-E-N-T-Y, the number eight, sports.com. For a limited time only, by just mentioning Back to the Futures, you'll receive a 10% discount off your order. That's S-E-V-E-N-T-Y, number eight, sports.com. Now, back to your regularly scheduled programming. Yeah, it's awesome to have those guys back after the 2021 run, which is finally time to talk about here. 
it was an unbelievable season for the Lake Monsters. As we said, felt like they had three different rosters, but ended up coming together at the end to win the championship. What was that like being there, being able to host the trophy and, you know, having a championship now under your belt in the Futures League? Uh, it was a wonderful experience. And, you know, first off, again, felt felt best for, um, you know, those players who put it all on the line every night. You know, that coaching staff that really, really worked hard. Um, you know, that, you know, they're out there every day doing early work with the players. I think players, you know, got better um, over the course of the season. Um, felt great for um, CJ and Dave and everybody in the front office who did just a lot of work on a very short time frame, getting Centennial up and running. And then Chris English and the, the ownership team that, uh, you know, saw an opportunity um, in Burlington uh, to keep baseball in Burlington, to keep baseball at Centennial Field, which I know you've been up there. It's just an awesome environment to play, to play in. Um, so, you know, for the players, for the coaches, for the front office, for the ownership. Um, anytime you win a championship is pretty special and you know that time might, you might not come around again. I mean, the last time the Burlington franchise had won was in 1996, you know, in the New York Penn League. And that was early in, you know, a previous iteration of the franchise. And then, you know, it didn't come around again for a while. So, you know, you do really have to enjoy those things and reflect back on a lot of people whose hard work went into that. Um, but then, you know, a couple of days later, you start looking forward to the next year. So, you know, you certainly not resting on any on any laurels. Um, a lot of things had to go right the first year. Again, short time frame to get that team together. Uh, you know, had a lot of people really step up and, and play some great baseball. Um, you know, learned learned some things that we tried to put in place this year. And I think we'll continue to try to keep learning things and try to keep improving where we can uh, every year going forward. But a championship is, is wonderful. I think it's a reflection again of, of those players, coaches, front office ownership, everybody that, that worked really hard on that. And you talk about a major reason for that championship being coach Pete Wilk and his staff, a guy with plenty of managerial experience leading that group. He's got a little thing for win streaks after the 17 gamer last year. And he had a 13 gamer earlier this year. What do you think he's brought to the club? Well, I mean, uh, a, a huge amount, you know, uh, Pete is, uh, you know, respected across baseball. Um, certainly on the player recruitment side, he's got a lot of great connections with coaches around the country. Um, and, you know, a lot of credibility, you know, I think coaches know that if they send a player to, to play for, for coach, for coach Wilk, for Matt, um, you know, for Chris, for, for Hogan, for our coaching staff, you know, the, those players are going to be well taken care of you know, and they're going to get better. Um, and so I think that's, that's critical. You know, we've seen, you know, we, we had a little bit of a rocky start, you know, last year, uh, just on the wins and losses column, but I think players were improving every day through that. So it put us in a position so that when things started clicking, we could run off, you know, a pretty good win streak there, um, you know, through the end of the season. And so, you know, Pete is just, integral to everything that happens with the lake monsters you know soup to nuts you know obviously player recruitment down to you know who's gonna um you know who's gonna swing in the home run derby you know at the end of the game or who's gonna uh you know obviously lineup changes and and all of that so uh so yeah i can't say can't say enough about pete and his role and the um you know the the veteran experience you know he's coaching a lot of quality summer leagues too you know he's coaching the cape he's coaching alaska uh, you know obviously coached at some top tier programs you know in college so 
uh, I know you've had him on the, on the show before, but, uh, you know, tremendous uh, educator and, and coach. Yeah, it's been outstanding to watch him with his players and, and the way that he's coached that team. It's, it's been incredible to watch for sure. And from on the field to behind the scenes, guys that do an incredible job are Dave Skirmerhorn and CJ Knudsen, who have Absolutely. built this team built this team extremely well. What yep. have you what have you seen from them and what have they done for the Lake Monsters that the naked eye might not see? I mean, yeah, I wish I wish people could see everything that those guys do behind the scenes. I mean, just consummate professionals, those two. Uh, I mean, you know, extraordinary experience for them both across professional baseball. Uh, you know, multiple franchises um, and just making sure that, you know, every little thing is taken care of and, and troubleshooting the number of things that, you know, that come up that I think a lot of, you know, maybe casual observers wouldn't, wouldn't think about, but those guys are, are doing it also, you know, it, it rains some night and, you know, those guys are, you know, have, have their, uh, their rain boots on and they're out there, you know, helping the grounds crew or, you know, uh, bailing water out of a dugout because the drains clogged or, you know, things like that. So they're, you know, they're, you know, I just can't say enough, you know, you have two people like that, you know, backstopping an organization, you're going to do, you know, things are going to do well. And I honestly believe, you know, the efforts of, of everybody, Dave, CJ, you know, their entire team, you know, translates into, into success on the field. You know, the players, I think feel this is an organization that really cares. And you know, a lot of people that are working very hard for, um, for their success. And it, you know, again, it, it impacts the community too. You know, a lot of people want to be involved in that. They want to come out and, you know, have a good night out with the family, which uh, is enabled by the, the hard work of a lot of people. So just huge amounts of credit to, to Dave and CJ and, you know, Pete, and all, again, all those people that, that do the things day to day that, you know, again, are much more involved in that than, than I am. Um, but I'm really honored to work with those guys. Yeah, and as I said, it's it's been great to watch everything that the Lake Monsters have done. And one thing that they definitely help produce is the massive amounts of promotions at games. And obviously, you said you're more of a, you know, you're more away from the stadium. But when you've gone there, what are some of your favorite promotions that the Lake Monsters put on? Oh, uh, so I I really like the um, distribution of the water to the umpires in the, the tiny little scooting van. Uh, I, and I'm probably going to get in trouble for not remembering the sponsor of that little scooter, but, uh, but I, I, I think it's, I think it's great. I think it's great. I always, I always like the fact that the umpires are smiling when they get their water bottle, you know, I think it's just, it, it's fun, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of great, great ones. And, you know, unfortunately, because I'm not there every night when I go up, it always feels like there's something, there's something new, um, you know, both on the field and off the field, you know, there's new food offerings, there's new, um, you know, there's new seating areas. There's, there's something new, you know, it's, so it's a night at the ballpark. It's a ballpark that's been there for a long time. You know, it's a, it's a, a historic ballpark, but constantly being updated and, and, and made new again. So it's like a timeless sport and a timeless place with, you know, new additions all the time. So um, yeah, the ballpark staff up there does a great job. Yeah, it's always great to be up in Vermont. Centennial Field is so beautiful. It's so green. That's what I always notice about it, how green it is. And they do a great job with all the promotions up there. So keep it up. Keep it yeah, up. Yeah, it fits, right? Green Mountain State. Um, certainly when there were the A's, you know, you got the nice green components there. Um, UVM's green. So yeah, it all, it all fits together. It all works out. Before we return to Back to the Futures, we want to share a message from our friends at Zorian Back Company. 
Rob Zorian started the company, Zorian Back Company, in 2003, literally out of the trunk of his car in Davie, Florida. Within two years, he was selling his wood bat line to Major League Baseball and continues to manufacture the highest grade wood bats for Little League all the way up to the majors. Rob Zorian, founder and president of Zorian, says, I started the company in 2003 to service all baseball players in the United States and beyond. And after 19 years, our mission has not changed. We are very excited to have the opportunity to work with the Futures League and wish all of our players and coaches a healthy and successful season ahead. For more information about Zorian, visit their website, ZorianBats.com. Zorian, America's baseball brand. Now, back to Back to the Futures. And transitioning to your role at Harvard, you currently serve as the director of baseball operations there as well. What has it been like to work for your alma mater for the past 13 years? Uh, it's great. You know, I mean, I started out obviously as a coach on the field. Um, and then, you know, I've transitioned. I mean, I think that, you know, in full candor, the, the baseball operations, you know, title is pretty different based on what school you're at. Um, so for me, it's a, it's volunteer. Um, and, you know, at another school, it'd be a full-time position. They'd be doing much, much more on recruiting and analytics and baseball operations and things like that. Um, you know, I uh, have always done a couple different things. Um, you know, when I started out coaching, I was also working for Oxfam and I was doing humanitarian response. And so I was in Haiti for a good chunk of the year after the earthquake. And then I was in Ethiopia for a good chunk of the next year. And, um, you know, I couldn't be around the team all that much. Um, and, uh, but I was fortunate enough to, you know, coach under coach Joe Walsh and, and then, um, Bill Decker, uh, who are both tremendous, you know, have been tremendous mentors of mine. I played for coach Walsh, uh, and now I've worked with coach Decker for the better part of the last uh, decade. And, uh, you know, I was, a, I was a walk-on in college. So any, I've never taken it for granted that I could be associated with, you know, that university or that program, even for a day. Um, and I think there were times where, you know, I would have seen success as, uh, you know, making the team and then, you know, success was, you know, being able to be a contributor. And then, you know, I finished, you know, finished out having a, you know, a decent career and being captain and, and, and then being invited back to coach and, you know, it's all, it's all been incredible. I remember, you know, being, you know, an incredibly, uh, you know, shy and probably not certain that this was going to be the right, the right place for me. And uh, so it's, it's been a, a pretty incredible journey. Um, but I would say that, you know, the director of baseball operations title, again, you know, in all humility there is, is, a, is much more generous for me to be associated with that program than it would be for a lot of other teams, you know, I help out a little bit uh, on the margins, but don't, you know, the day-to-day -day role is not, not significant with the team. The coach, the coaching staff there does a lot of work and they do what baseball operations directors would do at a lot of other programs. Um, it allows me to stay involved, but, um, but I, you know, uh, any success that happens there is, is due to the hard work of other people. Yeah. And of course, regardless, it's great that you get to you know, give back to the school that gave you so much, as you said. And well, let's go to your playing career for a second. You mentioned that you were the 147th captain in Harvard baseball history. And you just said you were a walk-on. So overall kind of full circle, what did that recognition mean for you? That was incredible. I mean, uh, you know, 
to be captain, to be elected by your teammates, um, you know, after, you know, when I was a freshman wondering if I was, you know, even going to be on the team, uh, you know, that meant a lot, but there's also a big responsibility. You know, you've got a, um, very significant role that, you know, is the, you know, inter interface between the coaches in the locker room and, and all those guys and a lot of expectations and bringing people together, um, bringing a team together. So, you know, just a, a tremendous honor, uh, and something that I'll, I'll always, um, you know, carry, carry with me and, uh, appreciate. Of course. And not only were you the captain, but you did pick up some hardware as well. When you're during your playing days at Harvard, you were all Ivy league twice, won the Ivy league and Beanpot championships in 2005. You were the strength and conditioning athlete of the year in 2006 ESPN magazine, all region team. What was it like to earn all of those accolades and be recognized for the great playing career that you had at Harvard? Uh, it's great. I mean, recognition is wonderful. Um, like I said at the beginning, I think there were a whole bunch of ways, particularly now in, in hindsight, where you can see different successes along the way. You know, uh, it's easy to put a champion, winning a championship at the end as your ultimate endpoint, but that's only going to happen in some years and in some programs. So you've got to have different things that are, that you can consider a success outside of, you know, the recognition that you get from other people. Um, so it's wonderful to, to be recognized. Uh, but I think there were interim metrics of success that are, you know, as important or more important. And a lot of that relates to, you know, the team and the work of the team and, and how um, everybody gets along together, particularly if you're a captain, but also, you know, I think everybody on the team is a leader. One person has a C, but um, everybody, you know, should be working for the team's success. So, um, so I think, yeah, those team, you know, the team titles really mean a lot. Um, I also know in the years that we didn't win, how hard the team worked. Um, and, you know, unfortunately there's not a trophy at the, at the end every time, but, uh, but all those experiences were really, were really meaningful. Yeah, of course. And it led to more baseball for you as you played in the Can-Am league, getting a taste of professional baseball. That had to be, that had to be sweet. Yeah, it was unbelievable. I mean, the term, um, that I am borrowing from somebody and I want to give them proper attribution, but I don't, have it right now is uh, getting paid to eat ice cream, you know, uh, something you, you always wanted to do your whole life. Um, and then somebody's going to pay you for it. I mean, obviously, in, in independent ball is not a whole lot, but, but, but it's, but somebody's writing, you know, a check and people are buying tickets to see you play. And um, yeah, it was great. And I learned, I learned a huge amount about the game, you know, uh, and played with, played with some great guys and some great, um, some great stadiums and, and, you know, venues and, and that was great. And it gave me life opportunities that I didn't think that I would have. And, and, uh, you know, obviously I ended up playing overseas and doing different things. So, you know, baseball, uh, outside of being a fun game and something that I've always had a, you know, close connection to and a passion for, um, has really given me some tremendous opportunities, learning opportunities that I think back on all the time. So, uh, yeah, I'm really, I'm really grateful for it. I don't, I, I couldn't believe it when I, was given my first check and received a first check for playing baseball. Um, you know, that, that felt kind of surreal. I think everybody, you know, who plays baseball wants to, you know, be the Red Sox shortstop, you know, wants to be in the major leagues. And, and, you know, I certainly had goals that I would have liked to achieve. Um, but I think there were probably many times 
you know, through grade school, when somebody asked you what you wanted to be, I probably said a professional baseball player. I might've said a major league baseball player a couple of times and I didn't become a major league baseball player, but I did become a professional baseball player. So that, you know, again, that's one of those interim success metrics that even if you don't get all the way there, you know, you've got to find some places along the way they're successful. So, um, you know, I'm proud of that and, you know, got caught by the injury bug more than once. Um, so, you know, just appreciation for, you know, things to take you on different paths in life. And I think, you know, the injuries that I had turned, you know, baseball into something that I was always very appreciative for, but I knew it wouldn't be the, the really long-term career. And that, that's what got me, you know, involved in a lot of the international work that I've found to be very meaningful, you know, as my full-time career. So, uh, so it's been nice to have the mix. Yeah, it's definitely good to have that mix there. And I do want to touch on this real quick about playing overseas in Belgium and Australia. How rewarding was that experience? And what's what's the difference, I guess, between playing baseball here, playing baseball over there? Yeah, I mean, what a what a cool experience. I mean, again, getting uh, that's like the getting paid to eat ice cream piece plus getting paid to travel. Like that's that's a pretty good combo. Um, it was it was great. You know, I hadn't you know, until uh, my senior year, I'd only left the country one time, you know, in my life. And, and then, you know, shortly after graduating and getting these opportunities, and then my ultimate, you know, onward professional opportunities, um, I got to see a lot of the world, you know, I really, you know, and it's something that obviously costs some money, and this helps to um, support that. So I'm tremendously grateful for those organizations that had that confidence in me, they, they usually are only allowed to have one or two foreign players on their rosters. Um, and you're expected to coach, you know, obviously you're expected to carry your, carry your weight in the lineup. Um, but there's a lot of those other responsibilities that I think are so important, the community building aspects that baseball can bring um, that are, that are really, that are really critical. So, uh, you know, it's pretty great. You know, we got to play in, in some, some cool settings, um, but also got to travel and then, you know, meet a lot of people and have friends in a lot of different countries and, uh, and still stay in touch with them. So I think it's, you know, the, the time playing on the field will always be a great memory, but it's nice that you can, you know, carry those friendships forward, even when you're not playing there. So um, yeah, I feel very fortunate about those things and uh, I'm always happy to talk to people about that. Yeah. That's such a cool experience being able to play as you said, getting paid to eat ice cream in another country. It's yeah. that, that's certainly an, an unbelievable experience. And we got to talk about this full kind of full circle moment here. One of the Can-Am teams that you played with was the Brockton Rocks, who are of course now in the Futures League. Is it kind of weird seeing the Rocks playing in the Futures League and being like against them, I guess? And and have you been back to Campanelli since? Yeah, I've been to Campanelli a number of times because I, you know, I live in Boston, so it's it's one of the closer parks. Um and, you know, I think there's a couple of things that, you know, help that transition. I mean, the, the uniform colors and logo and things like that have changed. You know, the team name is the same, um, you know, the ballpark's the same, um, you know, similar to the Lake Monsters, right? They were a team that was in another league that lost, you know, that doesn't have that affiliation anymore. And I think it's just tremendous that the Futures League has been able to keep baseball in a lot of these communities, you know, communities that had professional teams. I mean, almost you know, is it seven out of eight franchises, right? Is it seven out of eight? Yeah, seven out of eight franchises, um, you know, play, you know, in a stadium, sometimes with the same name, um, again, but in a stadium that uh, hosted a professional team fairly recently and has been able to keep high quality baseball, 
you know, affordable uh, family nights out um, in, in these communities. And so I think it's, I think it's awesome. Yeah. And of course, from the Cayman League to Summer Ball, you actually have playing experience in Summer Ball, playing for the Cape League and NECBL pre-Futures League era, of course. I'm sure you would have chosen the Futures League <laughs> if you had your choice. But now that you work in Summer Ball, working for the Lake Monsters in the front office, what is the biggest difference from then to now? And how important was Summer Ball to your playing career and to your life? Uh, I mean, it's, it's really important. I mean, this is a, a time players can, you know, get a lot more at bats. You can get used to playing with the wood bat. Um, and if you have, you know, if you have professional aspirations or even if not, this is the nearest approximation to that, right? You're playing night in, night out again with the wood bat. Um, it's, you know, from a player development perspective, it, it almost can't be beat. I mean, you can be out on the field early. Um, you know, I know, you know, some guys are taking summer classes and have academic obligations, but a lot of, a lot of players don't. So you can really focus on baseball you know, some players have jobs, some players don't. So there's, there's, there's some variability there, but, uh, but it's tremendous. And you get to meet, you know, players from all over the country and other programs and you learn, you know, how different things are done. And I know, uh, you know, whole other conversation now about the, you know, NCA transfer portal and things like that. And people moving around between programs, probably more than they ever have in the past, but right. It used to be, you only really had tremendous insight on one program on your program. But, you know, you can always learn how things are done differently. I had, a, I had a teammate, college teammate who went on to, you know, pitch in the major leagues for several years and then pitch in Japan for a while, had a very successful career who, you know, learned a different grip on his changeup in summer ball, just messing around in the bullpen, had a guy talk to him and, and that made, you know, helped him probably take a step to the point where he ended up becoming a, a big leader, um, you know, at least partially because it's something he learned over the summer. I mean, obviously a lot of other things go into that, but uh but summer ball, you know, has those types of opportunities. Um, and, you know, I think I'll always look back uh, very grateful for my own summer ball opportunities, but, you know, I, it would be remiss not to say that, <laughs> that I'm envious of everybody who's playing now in the futures league and who can play a full season and stay healthy. Um, you know, cause that didn't, that didn't happen for me. I had a really unfortunate thing happen where I got hit in the face and broke my eye socket and my nose and, had multiple blood transfusions and, um, you know, a summer that I thought was going to be a big summer for me. Um, and that I hoped was going to lead to the draft didn't, didn't work out, you know, and, uh, that's been a tremendous life lesson for me. You know, I hope that never happens to anybody else. I would never wish that on anyone, but it does sort of force you to examine the, you know, the concept of resilience and how you, um, you know, how you work yourself back from something like that. Um, and I remember, you know, because, there'd been some uncertainties around some of the surgeries and different things. When I got back on the field, you know, I finished the this is 2005 season with Wareham for the last week, you know, on the field. And I'd been in the hot in and out of the hospital for a month. And, you know, I don't know if I'd ever enjoyed baseball more than I did that first week back. And it was not, I mean, it was not my best performing weekend. Right. I mean, you hadn't, you know, you hadn't seen, you know, that type of velocity, obviously sitting in the hospital, you hadn't, you know, hadn't been doing a lot of the things and that league was going to, you know, it was going to be a league that was going to challenge my ability to begin with. And, uh, but I was, I was really grateful for that. Um, and my last, my last week playing professionally was also, you know, I'd left after the 2009 season and started working in, in humanitarian response and been working on, you know, 
the tremendous tragedy that was the earthquake in Haiti in, in 2010. And I was uh, asked uh, by Quebec, who I'd played for previously, to come back and play for them for a week, even though I hadn't, you know, been working out and playing in the same way that I had. And, uh, you know, professionally, I think you're always worried a little bit about being released, you know, especially if you are like me, like a marginal player, you know, you're not, you're not a superstar. Um, and that's always kind of in the back of your mind if you go over four, you know, maybe I'll be released the next day. And that's not a particularly fun way to play, you know, just worried with that hanging over your head. But that last week, they called me to back to play for a week because of a, um, one of the players, uh, one of the players from Venezuela was going home for the birth of his first child. And they uh, asked me to come back and, and I played for a week again, statistically brutal, <laughs> but I wasn't worried about being released. I knew I had a week. It was a week that I wouldn't have otherwise had. And it just, it, you know, it felt like such a gift to wrap things up that way. Um, and sort of, you know, that was the end of my, you know, playing career. And that felt like, you know, it was, it was, it was nice. You know, I didn't, didn't ultimately have the professional career that I wanted. You know, I think I have to look at where there were really real high points. And I will say both those summer ball experiences, again, led to some good friendships, some good experiences. Um, but ultimately that, you know, there were some injuries that, you know, are just, uh, something that happens and kind of unfortunate, but, but it, it's given me a lot of learning since then. Yeah. And obviously, I mean, that, <clears throat> that's tough, especially the way you got injured. That's crazy. That's, I mean, and you came back too. that's, that's something, I mean, that's, yeah. Yeah. It was really unfortunate, you know, as it, unlucky, I, I, yeah. 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 Just, <laughs> I mean, yeah, you can't sum it up. I mean, I love baseball. I mean, I don't think, I think when I was in the hospital, I think getting out, there was never a question of whether I was going to go back and, and play again. I think I, I think I probably flinched on a couple, you know, pitches up and in. <laughs> uh, and, uh, but yeah, but baseball, I mean, you're, you're a baseball guy. I mean, baseball, is great. You know, it's going to take more than that to get me to not do baseball stuff. Yeah. You're always going to find your way back to the sport you love. That's yeah. no doubt about that. And you touched on it a couple times during this episode. And I definitely want to ask about it before we sign off here, stepping away from baseball, you know, through my reading, through your talking, you've done a lot of humanitarian work. As you talked about, you talked about working for Haiti during the earthquake. And you talked about going to Ethiopia in response to the drought in the horn of Africa. What does it mean to you to be able to do that and to continue to be able to do that for people, especially considering, you know, a lot of it you were doing while coaching and playing baseball? Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I'm, I mean, one, you know, I feel very fortunate to have been able to do it. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of people that, that would like to do things like that and they're just not in a position to be able to do it. So I was fortunate to be able to do it. I think I always, you know, grew up seeing things that were happening in the world and wishing that there was a role that I could have in making, you know, trying to make things a little bit better. Um, I think when you're younger, you probably think that you alone have more, maybe more power to change things than you do. But there's also, you know, a lot of value in incrementalism, right? It, you know, it's better to have one more person involved in trying to do the right thing than one less. So, uh, you know, if you have the capacity to help out and do something, um, I think you do that to the, to the best of your ability. Um, certainly baseball taught me a lot of things about persistence and, um, you know, hard work and, 
uh, getting along with teammates. You know, I mean, I think baseball is a great teacher of lessons. And I applied those even when, you know, I was, you know, miles and miles and miles realistically and metaphorically away from baseball. Uh, those lessons of baseball are something that, that I think, you know, follows you around wherever, wherever you go. Um, you know, on the doing both, you know, I've always, I mean, really admired Roberto Clemente and, and Jackie Robinson and, and things that, you know, baseball players have been able to do beyond baseball. And, you know, I'm not, I need to <laughs> underline this with the strongest possible uh, pen here. I am not, you know, those two men, but I think we can, uh, you know, aspire to learn from, uh, you know, the tremendous examples of people that have, that have used, you know, either their platform or have not been limited by the fact they're doing something else to do something else good. So, um, you know, those guys are in a different stratosphere. Um, but I remember, you know, certainly hearing stories, you know, of Clemente growing up and, and just, you know, thinking that that was somebody that, that I wanted to try to, um, emulate even a little bit. Um, and, and then, you know, I think we all just try to find a place in the world that we can, you know, contribute and make a difference and mix doing the work that needs to be done with, with work. That's quite a bit of fun. And so I, you know, again, uh, very appreciative, you know, that the Lake monsters let me sort of do this, you know, part-time on the side. And, and, you know, then I've got, you know, my other job that, you know, I'm very, uh, committed to, working internationally, um, you know, on issues related to resilience and climate change and, and a lot of the things that, that I think are really fundamental. So I, I feel very privileged to be able to, to try to do a little bit of both. Yeah. And obviously it's been great to see, you know, of course, Clemente and Robinson did it and see guys still doing it using their platform in not only baseball, but in all sports, trying to, you know, improve issues in our country and other countries. And it's great to see yeah. you continuing to do that today while working for the Lake Monsters and Harvard and whatever else. You're a busy man. You're a busy man. Yeah. Sorry on the scheduling front. Yeah. 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 <laughs> all right. And bringing it all back for one final question. You've lived and breathed baseball pretty much your entire life. You've been involved in summer ball for a good amount of that in general, what is your favorite part about baseball about summer ball and whether it's, you know, currently in your role with Lake monsters or when you played at Harvard or the Cam Am league or whatever. I think everything, <laughs> you know, that's a bad answer. I'll tell you, so, so you know, I, I wrote an essay uh, once about the feeling and you probably relate to this, you know, being a New Englander, the first time I could put my spikes on in the spring when the ground wasn't frozen and your spikes, you know, sort of bite into the ground, you know, that's a great feeling. You get to do that every day in summer ball, <laughs> which is great. Um, you know, the sound of a wood bat is just the way baseball is supposed to be played. And you get to, you know, you get to do that. Um, you know, you have a bad day, you get to be back on the field the next day. You get to, you know, spend a summer with hopefully, you know, 30 or 40 people that you're going to be friends with for a long time. And you don't get to do that, you know, later in your life. Um, you get to learn from really caring coaches and, 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 uh, people around the organization who really care about you as an individual and want to see you improve. And that's a tremendous opportunity. So I know you asked for my one favorite thing about summer baseball, but I think it's all of it. You know, it's really great. I'm, you know, grateful the Futures League exists. I'm grateful the other summer leagues exist. I'm grateful, you know, for all the players that we have and 
And for the people, you know, that are involved in the organization, you know, for yourself and, and people in the commissioner's office that, you know, do a lot to enable this environment for the players. And again, for, you know, uh, highlight Frida up in, up in Vermont, you know, who spends a huge amount of her time arranging for good host family situations and those host families and the players that, that stay connected. I mean, what a, what an awesome, what an awesome thing. So I think it's all, it's all great. Yeah, it's, you know, it's great to be, have been working in Somerville for the past four years and everybody, there's so many cogs in the machine on all the teams, leagues, everything. So it, it's been great to see. And we're going to call that our Zephyr question of the day. It's presented by Zephyr, the official on-field hat of the Futures League. Zephyr, high quality and innovative design since 1993. Morgan, want to thank you so much again for joining us today. This was great. We appreciate the time. Good luck with everything, with all the jobs and stuff. We look forward to seeing you in Vermont and around the Futures League for the rest of the summer here. Thanks, Owen. Take care. All righty. And this has been Episode 7 of Season 5 of Back to the Futures, the official podcast of the Futures League. We have new episodes coming out every Monday. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see everybody soon.